Hello, listener. I have hopefully got a slightly less squeaky chair compared with last time. It's only recently that I edited the last episode in this series and listened to my chair squeaking for the entirety of it. Mm-hmm. Um, also this week, Dan has got a very sort of like Berlin nightclub style backdrop to him. It's kind of, I'm basically just looking at grey and black stripes behind him and he's got his headphones on so it does look like he's DJing at Berkheim tonight although I mean there's daylight coming in so it's it's totally 10 o'clock in the morning in Berlin and my name is James Hall welcome to Private Practice Podcast Series 8 Episode 4. Hello listener welcome to Private Practice Podcast I'm Daniel P. Brown from the London private practice podcast studios and it's great to be here with you again uh if i sound a little bit um all over the place it's because for once i'm i haven't been the one who was who spent hours preparing and just sitting here relaxed and ready to go i'm the one who 20 minutes ago said okay give me 20 minutes i'll set up an impromptu studio and what a studio he has set up. It's, um, you know, if we're going to talk about people's backgrounds, James has a beautiful blank canvas behind him. Um, <laughs> I could is, be anywhere. It could be a hostage. It could be anywhere, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes, here we are again talking about the lovely Carl Rogers. Very excited for today's final part of part one. Okay, so we're going to talk about this for a minute. Okay, are we? So, I mean, this is actually quite convenient for you, mm-hmm. the listener, because, well, so when we started doing this, I said many times, many, many times that um, I was atoning, is that right? atoning for my sins of the flow season when I decided it was absolutely imperative to go through every single chapter of the book leaving nothing out and I said don't worry this time we're just going to sit back put our feet up breathe in through our noses breathe out through our mouths be in the moment focus on the things that matter yep yep and um take Mm -hmm. a therapist view of psychotherapy the strap line of Carl Rogers book on becoming a person and Approach this like a therapist might. See what is the most important thing in the room right now and focus on that and pay attention to it and give you a rewarding, enriching experience that is driven ultimately by the the sort of the overarching narrative of this book, but not slavishly uh, following the chapter by chapter breakdown incorporating every single thing because after all these were a series of lectures and talks and notes and things but I basically thought okay right lovely we're done with Carl Rogers life learnings let's move on to the next part um chapter two don't need to bother with that chapter three we can skip that let's go straight to chapter four what we know about psychotherapy objectively and subjectively two minutes before recording um Dan says oh right so we haven't done parts a to h from (laughs) part one chapter one yet so it seems like dear listener you are with us on a lifelong quest to go through every single all 420 pages of Carl Rogers 
on Becoming a Person. And so today we're going to pick up where we left off on page 22 of 420. And so I hope you enjoy this episode and the forthcoming 60-odd mm-hmm. episodes mm-hmm. on this book mm-hmm. that we're going to be releasing over the course of maybe the next decade. Just just let me, just let me <laughs> respond to that. Uh, I, I don't think that is the case because I think the start of this book, part one, is like a summary of the contents of the entire book and I think it's got some lovely little gold nuggets of um, information, some, some little snippets, some sound bites, some phrases that, that are really useful and applicable across life you know they are they are valid all throughout now other chapters in the book perhaps have got you know some 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 heavier content that is less less easy to digest than this lovely set of comments on the a to h of chapter one which we are now putting into three individual podcasts and putting out but part one of this book is all about understanding the rest of the book so in the rest of the book perhaps we don't need to be quite so detailed and listing and and um all-encompassing we need to oh my god there's some diagrams later on in the book that are almost impossible to understand hopefully we'll be exploring those in details i remember james when we did the uh flow book your descriptions of images was Really, really wonderful. I can't remember if it was the same episode where I described a graph and also picked up a guitar and and sung flow, flow is a verb, flow is a doing word. I mean, two highlights. Really was a wonderful episode if, if both of those things were in the same episode. Anyway, look, today we're, we're still, you know, we're still on part one. You know, I'm sorry. I think it's an important part. Um, so he's, he's given us he's given us a little little list of things that he thinks are really important um and he 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 uh, um he, we'll go through them you know i like it we'll go through them and james can ask questions and i can i can um let my mind idly wander around the topics um, and i hope you're going to enjoy uh, listen i hope you're going to enjoy that and let me just let me just say this now so that i don't think about whether i should have said it because if i think that i shouldn't have said it i can always cut it out which is that um, if we... Private practice podcast. What we just said we're going to do, then we can basically release a, a batch of episodes of... No, I'm definitely not going to include this in the episode. I've bored myself already. Sorry, I wasn't even listening. What were you talking about? Um. <laughs> so James is basically having a kind of a uh, you know production meeting with himself out loud whilst recording. Yeah, it's fine. It's, I've, co- I've come out. <laughs> it's boring when we do it not, <laughs> not and not... Re- you know, it's boring usually, but now to record it and not even involve me in the conversation. What? I've come out of my little meeting. Good. Okay. Um, yeah. So it means we're hard now giving ourselves the opportunity to um, to sort of like release 
essentially part one as a little mm-hmm. mini series, so that the listener doesn't have mm. to continue to wait for the months it's going to take for us to get all the way to page four hundred <laughs> and twenty. Absolutely, and then we can come back to it as a after the little hiatus that the listener will experience in between these and the next ones. I think that's quite nice. I'm probably the only one between us. That's you and I, the listener, and Dan and I, who knows what I'm talking about. But I'm quite happy with the outcome. So at least the autistic only child can relax now for the remainder of this episode. Take it away, Dan. Okay, so A to H, Carl Rogers uh, on becoming a person, little things that he's learned, snippets of wisdom. First one, um, I can trust my experience. And this is a really interesting area to think about. Um, and it's something that I was talking about only only last night, only t'other evening. Um, it, it, it focuses on the idea that we all have our own individual perceptions of what is going on. They vary massively from person to person. You know, there's some subtle understandings and agreements on what experience is about. But our own internal worlds, the way that we describe and perceive everything that's going on, is is quite personal and it's quite unique. And in this statement, I can trust my experience, Carl is basically suggesting that actually we do try and listen to that um, in a voice that we have that might sometimes be described as a kind of a gut feeling or an instinct. Um, it can be somewhat problematic because also when we're talking about mental health, we can all have an inner world and an inner experience that is incredibly complex and sometimes very worrying and very troubling. So we might have to kind of cut through some of the noise and cut through some of the um, self-criticism and cut through some of the fear and anxieties and like try and find like what that healthy internal description and understanding of our own experience is but in essence for a for for someone who's a, in a healthy phase to listen to their gut and listen to their own description of their own experiences and trust it is a really really important factor what do you think about the idea that the human mind is so complicated that it's incredibly difficult to trust your feelings and emotions if you really don't know anything about how they come about. Sorry, give me a bit more. I'm I'm not quite sure what you mean. Okay, so I'm suddenly angry. How much value should I give that anger if I don't know why why if i if i don't know what anger is i.e. The, the 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 chemical reactions of emotions i don't know why anger has just suddenly emerged out of nowhere because it's not like i looked at the menu of emotions for today and chose anger and the waiter's come back with my um my chosen emotion as predicted mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also I don't necessarily know what to do about the anger. So you're kind of suggesting, well, it doesn't matter. I don't need to know any of that. Anger has arrived. I should value it highly and let it rip and not try and suppress it, thinking... like, For example, in the book, Carl often says that um, it's very helpful for people to not put on a facade. So like, the thing he doesn't 
condone in this sense would be to feel angry and to think, oh, I'd better not be angry. Someone else won't like that. I'll suppress my anger and pretend everything's fine. And I'm not. I'm really not suggesting that you should suppress the anger and with denial and pretend everything's fine. But to what extent should you? Um, how should you deal with that anger if you don't know all the things that I just described? To 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 just indulge the anger would mean being angry. Yes, I know. Maybe maybe not. Um, you you need a healthy relationship with your mo- emotions to be able to trust Carl Rogers statement to trust your own experiences um but I think it's very much about allowing yourself to develop a relationship with your internal world that isn't so full of doubt and so full of uh influence from others that you can both trust your own experience as well as question it so it's 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 not to say that everything that you think and feel is always continuously valid, accurate, based on facts, truthful and important, but it's to know that your own internal world is your is your own and that uh, as you develop as a human being, you will benefit from being able to say and know something along the lines of, I went through a really difficult time and during that difficult time I learned lots of things and those things that I learned I'll list them here have helped me improve my experience going into similar situations or um ooh I I've got a a sense of feeling that I would really like to experience these new things or I would really um benefit from a change in career uh a break from this relationship at uh, something added or something new in my life and knowing that because that that feeling that sensation that idea that there's something that you want or you need trust that go with it move towards it and i think it very much is about a process rather than a just okay well everything that comes into my head is absolutely 100% true that's it these are facts i trust my experience it's it's allowing the experience which is excuse me, but is this sort of a journey? It's like a pathway. It's something that, God, I hate myself for saying that, but it's, um, it, it, it's, it's a, it's, it's a set of events and it's a, there's a, there's a complexity to it. So knowing that sometimes, you know, doubt will come into your mind, but that's, that's part of this whole experience is a way of getting to your own internal truth. Does that answer your question, James? No, it's way too vague because you, everything that you've just said, I could just take that and run with it and apply it to all kinds of rubbish. It's, it's, I'm, I'm, and I realise that's a little bit harsh because I'm mm-hmm. kind of, but because I'm following you based on knowing you. Mm-hmm. But uh, if I didn't know you and I heard that, and I was kind of inclined to feel like. Um, I don't know my bad <laughs> digestion as in you know I've eaten something that didn't go down very well but I'm interpreting that as the the spirits of the the gods communicating with me and um, I should take this as a sign that um, that I'm on a on a crusade to 
to convert my fellow human beings to see an alternative perspective on the world that and in the process I cause untold amounts of catastrophic consequences all because I misread the um, chemical reaction of my gut with being something extremely important and part of a, an important overall journey that I'm on because that's what kind of what it sounded like you were saying. I, I don't know that that is what I was... No, I do know that that is not what I was saying. So um, man, I'm just wondering how... Like, where can we... Um, what, where can we dis- how can we distill the essence of this so that it's not so that it's a little bit more specific and less vague and open to interpretation by someone who would like to interpret it okay. any which way they wanted to? The essence of this is that a healthy mind is able to trust themselves and is able to follow their gut instinct and is able to evaluate, rationalize, critically think, yet still have a guide internally. So you're you're assuming that the person who is trusting their instincts is has a healthy balance of left and right brain management of their thoughts and emotions because on the one hand if you exclusively rationalize everything and you don't uh, give enough credence to your emotions then you're denying a whole aspect of what it is to be a human but on the other hand if you just believe that some feeling is the catalyst of whatever you want it to be and to hell with the consequences because that's the most important thing in the world because Dan said so then you could have a stomach ache and end up willfully oppressing a whole group of people because you feel like it's um, an important part of a, a greater good because Dan said that I should follow my emotions and my emotions say today my anger is important and I need to go out and realise its full potential. Um, because maybe someone is completely unhinged and out of sync with reality. Mm-hmm. And they hear your comforting words that actually that's okay. They can change reality to match their inner emotions because their inner emotions are the most important thing. And they don't need to take any consideration of facts in the world presented to them because their emotions are the most important thing. But you're saying that you're just you're assuming that there's a balance. You're assuming that this person is is pretty rational but not so rational that they deny their emotions therefore they're kind of you know their tinder byline would say sane and sorted and so this is pretty easy for them they they look at carl rogers book and think this is elementary i can you know i've got this and i can multitask microsoft teams and make myself a flexitarian smashed avocado sourdough lunch simultaneously and probably do 50 press-ups and record a podcast and write a book all by 11 o'clock. What am I going to do this afternoon? (laughs) So I feel like you're forgetting that this is um, Carl Rogers' learnings for himself 
which he thinks might be useful as a guide for other people. This is not saying that all people with any mental state, in any condition, with any potential extreme diagnosis should just follow their heart's content and psychopath all over the place. <laughs> this, is, this is Carl just saying that for him. This is a useful guide. And Carl Rogers was someone that would help people towards a more comfortable, integrated self. So helping people understand and learn how to trust their own experience and learn from their own experience. And this is just a, a tiny sentence that by, by, by no means says all people at all times should always trust everything that they think in that moment and just F it and go with it. <laughs> okay. But... But you have pointed out a really interesting problem with 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 Carl Rogers more <laughs> you know, it's it's called positive psychology, isn't it? Perhaps overly positive and perhaps somewhat unrealistic for all people to just trust their own experience. Well, the, I think I mentioned before the Jungian gods uh talked about the idea of unconditional positive regard in an episode of their podcast, um yep. This Jungian Life. And to summarize I mean, they, they didn't really say very much, but what they did say was to, to, to the effect that judgment is inevitable and essential as part of a human life. I think they feel like the extent to which Carl Rogers rejects judgment and allows feelings... It's taken me a very long time to articulate... Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? Can you say it better? No, I don't know what you're saying. Okay, let me try and say it badly and then see if you can say it. Carl, Carl, Rog, Carl Rogers, judgment, bad. Jungian gods, judgment, you have to do it. Therefore, Carl Rogers, no, because Carl Rogers, incomplete. We add the extra piece, judgment, necessary. Yeah, I, I'm, I can definitely see that argument and I don't think that was poorly put there in that sort of um robotic way you just did it um uh, i I, th I think the idea like i said like perhaps that could be a criticism of carl rogers that it is overly positive and maybe not as realistic i mean you pointed out already like not everyone can judge all of their experience all the time because i mean sorry not everyone can trust all of their experience all the time because those people that do who are having an experience that is not firmly grounded in reality with critical appraisal of the you know the rights and wrongs and the the trues and falses and the you know and, and even the the understanding and interpretation of the experience the perception of what's going on we, we know that the reason why probably millions of people across the globe are in 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 therapy are because of misjudgments and misunderstandings and overly valuing certain experiences and emotion as well as neurological psychological organic problems or um experiences that are changing that person's understanding and abilities to process in a healthy way so carl going hey guys look i know what we should all do we should just trust our experiences. Oh, well, right now, I think I'm a fucking Martian and I've been sent here to murder all of you. Trust it, man. You know, go with it. Obviously, that's problematic. But what I think he was 
you know, what my interpretation of that, which also could be dangerous, of course, is that actually he's saying find a way to learn how to trust your experience and find a way also, maybe he should have added, to critically analyse that and work through it so you know that it's based in with some solid ground below it, beneath it. Does that help, James? That's pretty much exactly what I wanted to get at, and I'm glad my incompetent stumbling around with words got us there in the end. Yeah, you did a really, really good job, and I'm glad that you trusted your instinct on that critical appraisal of Carl Rogers' wishy-washy phrase. Uh, but he he does actually, he, he goes on to another part, which is kind of really linked with this, and I don't want to spend too long on this, but he also says, so B, that was A, this is B, he said, uh, evaluation by others is not a guide for me. So he's talking about, you know, accepting and understanding and taking on board people's criticisms and comments on how you live and what you should do. But don't then adopt someone else's views and opinions of yourself simply because at that moment you're holding them in higher regard and higher esteem than yourself. Yeah, I think certainly from his point of view, he was onto something scientifically and surrounded by people who didn't value his tangential path that he was taking so uh, so there's an element of him mm-hmm, feeling mm-hmm. like okay I'm going somewhere interesting no one else wants to come with me they pretty much all want to stop me going where I'm going and to go where they're going this is a problem I can't like the same goes with anyone who's um, innovative creative entrepreneurial whatever if they just um, listen to six other sensible people who've all followed a more um, a path that's gone before then they would never get to anywhere interesting so they, they it's it, it's impossible for someone who is in whatever way a trailblazer to live their life by following the code of other people because that is not a blaze a trail being blazed so if you're taking the point of view of someone who is doing that then for that individual it's extremely important more so than your the majority of individuals to take everything that every evaluation and every judgment from other people with a pinch of salt unless of course you get kidney stones from salt however for mm-hmm, most people mm-hmm. most people are not blazing a trail <laughs> sorry i was uh, for the listener's benefit, I directed my gaze towards Dan. I don't know why. <laughs> and so be it a chosen conformity or a, a deterministic conformity, there's a whole discussion to be had about the reasons why some people would be creative, entrepreneurial mavericks and other people would like to just stay in the lane that causes the least uh, consequential upset for whatever reason uh, not everyone can not everyone is a trailblazing maverick and so essentially there's an element of um, of judgment of the value of Carl Rogers and his um, and his learnings based on the similarity and affinity that you have with his position. So if you feel like you are a uh, a trailblazer in the present day, and you can you can imagine exactly what it must have been like for him to be uh, trying to go down this path that everyone else thought was too left field, then you can. 
value that emotional uplift and that affinity as as high as you like and you can you can learn from all of his obstacles that he faced on that journey that he went on whereas if that's absolutely not your life in the slightest then then it's not necessarily advice to follow yeah absolutely but i think like you know like i mean in essence what he's saying in in his in his advice is also telling you to not completely listen to him you know um evaluation by others is not a guide for for me and 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 going on to C, which we, we will skip on to now, because I think it's more of a conversation. Maybe we don't need to go through every single one in so much detail. Maybe you're winning on that one, James. But um, his next one is experience is, for me, the highest authority. So in essence, in saying that, you're saying experience, your individual and unique experience is a higher authority than this here book that we're looking through. You know, his experience is different to your experience, and he's telling you to value your experience more highly. So... In essence, although the you know the the more general messages of Carl Rogers that we're going to look at throughout the books um, are about respecting other people's experience, listening to, valuing, um, not judging it harshly if it's different to yours, and regarding the individual positively and kindly and warmly that doesn't then necessarily mean to um throw out all critical thinking and all evaluation of you know best course of action or uh understanding the consequences of actions it's really just about uh, a lot of this is about an ethos towards um exploring and learning from experience so what have you got to say about that experience for you is the uh, for him is the highest authority I think to some extent it has to be because people really only learn through experience because if you told me hypothetically what it would be to live my life in a Christian cult in the wilderness, um, it would all be very abstract to me. There are plenty of times when I'm reading something and I think, okay, words, mm-hmm. words, 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 what am I going to do with these because it's just impossible for me to make any kind of reference to anything that I've uh, been through. Absolutely, but it's good to listen to others and perhaps if you can learn from their experience, even if your experience is the highest authority. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, I I think, you know, like you're saying, uh, you you mentioned a, a, a Christian cult set in the forests or the woods, um, uh, you know, Carl is also saying um, he's not anti-religion, he's not against religion, but he's also saying that, you know, like the Jungian gods or, you know, uh, Grandfather Freud or the Bible or the law or the government, uh, they 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 have authority, they have power, but actually it's your own personal experience and your interpretation of that that's most relevant and should be most valued and most important to you as an individual i can't help thinking about the um the title of the book by the right-wing pundit ben shapiro facts Mm -hmm. don't care about your feelings (laughs) facts don't care about and what, what exactly was he suggesting by that phrase i haven't read the book i wouldn't want to suggest anything that's inside a book that i haven't read but 
the headline, the title rather, facts don't care about your feelings. I mean, this is, the, but this is kind of what I was saying for, for, for part A of this. Like, you can go around the world thinking that um, you have, because give one of the examples that you just gave, the law. Like, it depends on, wildly on the situations, but um, you're going to have to give me a law. You, you shall not murder? Like, what do you mean? Like, a real law? Like, a, from the Bible, from the criminal justice act the health and safety at work act what what do well, you well, can can you kind of just repeat a little bit what you just said uh, well, that that although there are higher you know uh, legal authorities you shouldn't uphold the bible um freud um your government the law as being more important and more valued than your own personal experience but then how is this any different to what we said at the at the start about that if you if your personal experience is in cloud cuckoo land and you have no regard for the law which is designed for the mutual respect of of a number of people who all, who all have to live together in harmony in the same place at the same time and you mm. just think well my crackpot that you don't know is crackpot experience is way more important than all of that so <laughs> out the way everyone here i come well i feel like we've already justified that haven't we we've already made the criticism there that carl is talking from a um a humane and developmental and psychotherapeutic kind of stance and he's looking at how to help people progress and he's looking at how to help people integrate and understand themselves so um although because because when we first started talking about Carl Rogers you wanted absolutely everyone in the world to just adopt everything that he was thinking and saying and now you're coming up with some very valid reasons why that that wouldn't necessarily work um, yeah uh, and although he doesn't I mean in in order to have a kind of a um a readable enjoyable narrative text that's around theory um you have to you have to miss out some of the criticisms to your own work otherwise you would never be able to say anything um you would become obsessive in your nature towards criticism criticizing what it was that you had just written and that would therefore make uh, a text and a theory completely unreadable and of course you can argue that oh well you've said this but you haven't thought of all of these factors it doesn't necessarily mean that he hasn't considered these factors but what he's talking about is the 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 like his his current of understanding and ideas and and he's trying to get across to us how important within the context of the work that he's done and his experience of life as a professional in his field, these are the most important things. If we then tried to make that applicable to every situation everywhere, we would also have to put 300,000 caveats to that. It would make the book completely unreadable. But that's not to say that your disagreements with his uh his ideas are invalid because they're not invalid 
So he, there's, a, there's a little quote that I'm going to give you here, which I think is, is quite useful. My experience is not authoritative because it is infallible. It is the basis of authority because it can always be checked in new primary ways. In this way, its frequent error or fallibility is always open to correction. I have no idea if I understood that at all. Uh, here, we go, here, we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Okay. I believe that I am, uh, uh, I am able to withstand the heat and the burning of fire. I shall put my hand in a fire. Oh, fuck, I've just burnt myself. Okay. So my belief that I couldn't burn was wrong. I shall no longer put my hand in the fire. Okay, right. That, uh, that's exactly what I wanted, and it's essentially. Wait a second. Update your. I, I am neither inflammable nor infallible. <laughs> oh, so your your this divine experience of mine that I've privileged so highly from reading Carl Rogers, I've just decided to put that in practice by plunging my hand into the fire, and I've realised, oh, whoopsie. <laughs> Maybe it's yeah. not. Maybe I should scratch out A and B and just uh, skip to C because it's actually way more useful in terms of basic <laughs> survival on this planet than the previous two. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so, but, but I guess let's let's have a think about. It. So, like you know, part A is ah, I can see a fire. It feels hot, you know, from this distance. It feels hot, but. My belief is that I will not burn. Oh, so, you know, it was valuable experience. I, I know now, I know now, learning from my experience, that the fire will burn and, oh, and the skin's blistering. Oh, and I'm feeling pain. <laughs> How good that I am able to, you know, because if you weren't learning from experience, if experience wasn't important, you would go the next day, aha. Today, again, I believe that I am inflammable. And you'll put your hand back in the fire. So you learn from the experience. I think basically we are really dealing with a genius here because <laughs> let's, just, let's just think about alternative ways this could have panned out. He could have just said, for example, don't put your hand in fire. And, some, and, and in terms of what I said just now about people learning from experience as opposed to just being told things, if you say to someone, don't put your hand in fire, and that person is not really paying attention because they're thinking about that incredibly uh, seductive person who just swiped right on them, and they're thinking about, oh, what clever words can I uh, put together to make that person want to leap into my clothing? and they're not paying attention to you saying don't put your hand in fire, then you just don't learn that and you end up plunging your hand into fire, but you're on your own there burning. Whereas um, Carl has told you, um, you should value your experience. And so you think, <laughs> <laughs> well, my intuition um, and my experience of my emotions right now is daring me to put my hand into this fire. And so you do it, but Carl is there. And um, he's he's going to at the at the precise moment he's going to stimulate you to pull your hand away from that fire even before the um, natural survival instinct kicks in, and he's going to guide you through how this is a life learning of immense value that while your experiences and your emotions are very valuable, you need to constantly update and keep everything in measure and balance. And therefore, 
you've learnt through experience, but guided experience, so that you're not just left there with your with the remainders of your hand dripping onto the floor from the uh, excessive heat reducing them to liquid. Yes, which definitely happens. Um, so, yeah, in essence, I suppose we could look at it like we're, we're being a little bit, I don't know, not black and white. That's not quite right. We're being a bit silly with our examples here. But like, here we go. If you have the experience of um, being with a friend, and I've done the horrible air quotes there, friend, and each time you spend some time with that friend, you leave actually feeling criticized or undervalued or used or abused or neglected by that person and there's something there's a voice inside there's something going on telling you that this person is no friend of yours trust that value that do something about that don't think oh well because this person calls themselves my friend and other people see this person as my friend and you've known this person for years and they're your friend when actually the experience that you have of being with that person is just uncomfortable. It's not. It's, it, it, it's, it, it doesn't in any way um, improve your life. Then that person is not your friend. You know that. Trust your experience. Get away from that person. Shut them out of your life. Would be maybe a more useful example because it's it's a bit more nuanced, isn't it? It's not like the burning hand that turns to liquid. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you plunge your hand into the core of the sun, then you just... Yes, James, the core of the sun. Everyone's always reaching out for the core of the sun. But I don't, I don't, I don't exactly know how the burning of the hand and the recognising that someone is more of a problem than a friend, how they overlap. We'll come to that in a second. But there is a, sci- a British scientist called Ian McGilchrist who talks about the the differences between the left and the right brain and he's talking about something that's with no experience of even seeing a screen with i don't know whatever brain mapping dots are being represented Mm -hmm. graphically on the screen with no experience of even seeing that let alone going through his path to becoming knowledgeable about to to the extent that a human being can be the, the functionality of the two hemispheres of the brain all I can do is listen to his articulation of this lifetime's um, accumulation of knowledge from his experience as well as theoretical and see what makes sense to me. And most of it is, I mean, it's difficult. So he, he uses, for example, um, he talks about someone who was good at predicting which horse would win a race. Uh-huh. In, intuitively, he would say he he just like he'd spent his whole life in horses and just knew mud. Sorry, and, and knew hooves. He'd done um, what? He'd spent his whole life in horses. That's what I said. Yes. Okay. And, Interesting. And so he he would say, for example, number forty three is going to win, and then he'd stop himself and think. I can't prove that. This is not scientific. I may as well be a fortune teller. I may as well write people's horoscopes. I'm just saying things based on my intuition. I'm valuing something I cannot explain. I see where you're going now. And then what would happen is, whatever I said, 43 would win the race. He would be right. And he would still feel like a charlatan. And every time he tried to be scientific about it, he'd say, okay, 
crazy me today, my tea leaves have told me that 43 is going to win. But let me be scientific about this. Let me look at what let me look at the data on this, the fact sheet. Here is the weather forecast for today. Here are the stats for the horses running in the race. Logically, I would say that mm, maybe 43 doesn't have an outstanding chance of winning. Probably according to this spreadsheet, if you were to ask a simple algorithm, it would say that number 17 is going to win. And then number 43 does win. And as soon as he tries to be logical and sensible about it, it turns out that it's nowhere near as reliable. There's no reliability at all. The only correlation with a reliable prediction is that which, as we like to say, comes from the gut. And um, and so in, in conversation, so not scientific papers or anything like that, but just in conversation, this guy says that from his lifelong study of the brain, he thinks that there is definitely some value to intuition that should not be discarded, but he couldn't possibly say, from a scientific point of view, what that was, what that intuition is, what is happening, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, and so on. And coming away, and but and and I can't help but hear simultaneously thinking about what would happen if everyone just valued their intuition, it wouldn't be a case of winning money at the races it would be all kinds of total catastrophe and there would be no science because people wouldn't peer review anything they would just go with their intuition and they'd say you know what rubbing mustard all over your chest does cure cancer because that's my intuition and Ian McGilchrist says so (laughs) okay so so in essence we've got this um this sort of split in in um in confidence towards Carl Rogers' uh, um, uh, main thrust that experience is the most important thing, yet we can't prove why. Also, there is the possibility that there are a number of factors that would mean that that is not the case. So, lovely idea, lovely message for a healthy, intuitive, yet critical thinking and analytical and a mind that's able to assess and build on experience and and also um, uh, experience itself you are able to learn from and then change your thoughts and feelings because of experience so there's it's kind of it's actually slightly more complex than Carl Rogers initial thought that he can trust his own experience he can trust his own experience only until the next experience which disproves his original experience which is fine it's it's talking about using the internal world the experience and the input from the external world to to learn he's basically learning stumbling through your life with a load of a process of trial and error with potentially ludicrous outcomes living your life basically like a british sitcom from the 1970s Oh, no, much, except yeah. no, in, in in sitcoms, characters never learn from their mistakes, so it's uh, mm-hmm. it's a little bit more advanced than that. But it's like carry on up, carry on becoming a person, carry on becoming a person, exactly. Because it literally is called on becoming a person, so you just put the carry in front of it. So you carry on becoming a person. You're much quicker and sharper than me today, that's for sure. Today, right? <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, so, so, dear listener, um, but James, you are full of interesting ideas that are implausibly 
uncomfortably, unusefully placed and put. Now, so, everything, everything. I'm not going to cast judgment on anything I've said today until I listen back to it. But all I know is that my experience is telling me that no matter what I've said today, every, pretty much all of it has come to a point where I stop talking. And Dan then says something, which is exactly what I wanted to get to. And I feel satisfied that we got there, regardless of the means. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of satisfaction. I'm totally with you on this one. Um, I think a really interesting idea for me is I had this uncomfortable feeling when you started um, raising questions and queries about uh, uh, our Lord Carl. And um, then I realised that your arguments were perfectly valid and totally right. So I was able to slightly change my thinking around Carl being infallible. And but I did just want to say, like on your issue of the sun, we're not we don't feel like we have to put a message out there to say, kids, please don't travel 150 million kilometers and put your hand into the middle of the sun because it will, in James's opinion, turn to liquid. Probably it'll turn to gas by that point. But there was the example of someone burning their hand and then there was the realisation that a friend is more of a problem than an accomplice. And what was the overlap? Do you want to just... Do some. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the overlap was um, the overlap was that you should allow your experience to be an educational development. You should allow new learning from new experiences to counteract, change, and update your previous understanding. That's, oh, that's so, what I think it was. So previously, you had an intuition that this person was a friend, and then new experience tells you that they're not, and you update. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wonderful. Is it uh, number D? Number D, <laughs> letter D. Uh, I enjoy the discovery of order in experience. I enjoy the discovery of order in experience. Um, and he talks a little bit about, you know, um, writing books and using science to find out facts. But he has a nice little, and let me see if I can find it again. Um, Thus, I have come to see both scientific research and the process of theory construction as being aimed toward the inward ordering of significant experience. Research is the persistent, disciplined effort to make sense and order out of the phenomena of subjective experience. Okay, whatever you just said, I wasn't even listening because I was just getting excited about you now giving that same message in a jokey little story like the one about putting your hand in fire. So I hope you're... Like, you think you're sharp and quick and on form oh. today. Now's the time to prove yourself. God, I hadn't... I barely even finished reading it. There was no commentary, there was no backwards and forwards there's no discussion or debate around it that can't, that that is what's coming but that can only come when you do your successful comedy shtick jesus christ it's not me who said i was on fire today it was you no well, if you fire. were on fire you'd be liquid <laughs> scientific research and the process of theory construction uh aimed toward the inward ordering of si uh, significant experience and and i think that that's 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 what we're talking about. Maybe he should have started with this one. I enjoy the discovery of order in experience. So the idea that each um, experience you have, shall we say, is a data point with a set of um, uh, 
ideas, comments, thoughts and feelings which you download into your data bank and you process through your your brain computer. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Let's take a person. I'm going to call her <laughs> Linda. What happens to Linda that makes her feel like she's found order in experience? What happens? Well, Linda goes into work every single day at the chemist and she deals with uh, hundreds of different uh, patients who come to seek advice some are kind some are nice some are rude some are angry some are frightened and linda each day goes in with a slightly different updated ethos about how to deal with the different groups of patients so over the 30 years that linda works at boots in mitcham she learns different techniques to deal with the different presentations of people deal with their problems deal with their questions so in essence on day one Linda may have been very, very snappy with Mr. Jones, who came in and seemed angry and rude because he, his, his, um, his prescription wasn't ready when they said it was going to be. But by you know year three or year four, maybe maybe a little longer, she knows exactly how to deal with Mr. Jones. She knows exactly how to put him at ease. She knows exactly how to deal with his problem. So each day that these clients come in patients come in to pick up their prescriptions she is downloading all of the information points and the data to her brain and she is she is integrating it into a new and updated ethos formula and behavior groundbreaking mm, absolutely groundbreaking um e. <laughs> i mean i completely agree with that good um e the facts are friendly. What have you got to say to that, James? And what does Ben Shapiro, is that who you said? Yeah, the facts are indeed friendly. And maybe it's just because um, I spend so much time with someone who values so highly the, uh, the facts as presented to him by French newspaper Le Monde that I have um, myself been brainwashed into a much higher regard of the facts than I may have previously had uh, I think there's the the, 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 um, the teasing that I get that anytime I talk about emotions or feelings or unconditional positive regard that I'm somehow a disciple of the the Bible of Carl Rogers and I've been swallowed up in the ideology and just swallowed all of it is potentially what's fortunately prompted me to be so critical and to, um, I don't know, be uh, excessively harsh on Carl Rogers, which is, uh, which is so different from when I originally read the book and did what you said, slapped it down and, t and said, why isn't everyone just following this to the letter? And so the extent to which facts of the physical world, the extent to which facts of biology, the extent to which facts of economics and so on have a huge impact that simply cannot be ignored because you have a feeling just eliminates all like the the idea of any kind of like um as soon as i hear people taking facts and saying that here is the fact therefore we should respond in the obvious way 
with no regard to any feelings or anything like that, is kind of like a utilitarian robot. And conversely, someone having a feeling and denying all facts around them and believing that they can fly or whatever is just as ludicrous. So this this whole thing is about finding some balance. Yes. The facts are friendly. Um, so in his example here around the facts being friendly, he also talks about when the facts don't seem so friendly. And he, his, his, um, his example is about... So in cognitive behavioural therapy, they absolutely love doing research to prove how useful cognitive behavioural therapy is. They love to put it into facts and figures and data and show you just how much better everyone gets from cognitive behavioural therapy. Psychologists are very good at this, at um, validating what they do by using clinical research to prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that people will get better using cognitive behavioural therapy for common mental health conditions. Now, in psychotherapy and psychoanalytical therapy, they are have adverse, adverse to doing this. There isn't a big movement to prove and to, um, to, to research the changes and the positive recovery of people who go through psychoanalytical psychotherapy. And his example in here is uh, Carl believes that's because people are very scared of the facts. They're worried that it will be proven that actually what they do isn't as useful as they hope or believe or think it is. And that used to scare Carl, and he didn't like it. And then he, he says in this little chapter, in this little section, at such times I look back, it seems to me that I regarded the facts as potential enemies, as possible uh, bearers of disaster. Every bit of evidence one can acquire in any area leads one that much closer to what is true. So while I still hate to readjust my thinking, still hate to give up old ways of perceiving and and conceptualising, yet at some deeper level I have, to a considerable degree, come to realise that these painful reorganisations are what is known as learning. So in essence, he's you know he's supporting everything he's gone before. I'm not really sure he needed to use an A to H to... Ex- <laughs> Maybe you're right, James. Maybe we didn't know need to go through A to H. But but the idea that actually, you know, the truth is actually uh, sorry, the the facts are getting you closer to the truth, and the truth you would think is surely what m- m- most people would um, want to know if they were focused on self improvement, self awareness, and integration of the self. This is absolutely, in my view, one of the best things in the book, and. It's, a, it's definitely a departure from the Freudian and Jungian uh, teachings that came before Carl Rogers in the sense that, as to, to my knowledge, I don't think they were particularly... Like, they were in the category that you just gave an example of, of not really being desperate for some kind of quali- quantitative empirical research findings. Is that true? Yeah, that, that sounds right, yeah. Uh, and do you, do you think that that's still the case now in 2022 that if someone c- d- d- considers themselves a Freudian psychoanalyst, they're really not bothered with being able to demonstrate factual something, 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 my work is good. They're more interested in swallowing Freudian ideology 
rehearsing and practicing to their best ability their performance of preaching that ideology and trusting that it will be good because they believe in it and as soon as you come along saying oh i want to analyze this and come up with some facts they're frightened of that in case because they fear that actually the reality of the world that is dictated by the laws of physics and the constraints of biology and all these things that they skipped in uh, science class because they thought oh boring 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 i'm going to be a therapist much easier and they they fear that they the, they will be revealed as the emperor being no, having no clothes that they all their that, that they are actually just leaders of a cult and that everything they believe is the willful bringing into being some kind of i've lost myself here listen i can help you out with that no i don't think that um i can't speak for you know all psychoanalytical psychotherapists but i think there is something much more creative and experiential and potentially artistic and less science classically scientific with with uh, analytical therapy i couldn't say whether therapists modern therapists are fear that they will be disproved and uh uh, but I do know that the actual delivery and the experience of going through psychotherapy is not necessarily about this um, rateable change in someone's ex, um, you know behaviours or experience. It's not just about that. It's a it's a process. It's like a creative process, and it's um it's it's something perhaps that just 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 needs to be experienced to be understood so therefore trying to validate it and rate it is is not part of the the um delivery of it um i can put it slightly differently if you take a joke some people probably most people think let's say you you tell a joke and everyone laughs and that's it everyone is perfectly happy everyone in the room is perfectly happy to accept that Something happened. It was a beautiful artistic moment, and we all laughed. And please don't analyze it. Please don't give me the facts. You'll ruin it. Like I don't need to know that it was factually correct that we laughed. I don't need to know that I was factually wrong, or that I was uh, that my laugh is actually something that was predetermined by the laws of physics or quantum theory or whatever. I don't need to know any of that. You'll ruin it. Just just go away. Don't tell me any of that. I'm, I fear the facts. I just want to enjoy the experience of the laughter and never think more about it. I have always found that analysing jokes <laughs> to the nth degree, I found that extremely satisfying. Like the idea of of going through exactly what it was about the joke that made it funny and uh, and what it is that what laughter is and all this sort of thing to the extent that I can possibly understand that makes it all the more enriching for me and I don't I don't know the that that's a commonly shared experience when it comes to humor I feel like people tend to think that it's some kind of wonderful artistic magic that shouldn't be sullied with facts that are boring and spoil the party. Yeah, I think that's a, a reasonable... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
comparison. It's a reasonable comparison, yes. But also the idea of like looking at a painting. If you've got a incredible painting in a gallery and thousands of people wander through that, the actual experience of looking at that painting and the feelings and the thoughts and the ideas, the references, the the context and the the experience of each individual is different. However, generally the paintings that are in galleries can be and it is a gen, you know, generally they can be seen as, oh, that's a good painting. That's a painting, you know, not always, but generally that is a really wonderful painting and people can enjoy looking at that painting and be impressed with that painting. But you wouldn't necessarily be able to say the reason why people, everyone looks at this painting and experiences it um, or how they experience it is the same. It's not, it's completely different and it's unique. So to try and summarise exactly what it is about that painting that is great is is very difficult because it's um subjective but hold on i would put i would put it differently i would say that i've never come across anyone incredibly clever way way smarter than me um in conversation saying i'm so clever i know everything about the human mind i'm the i'm at the forefront of neuroscience no one knows as much as me and it has ruined my life because i can't possibly laugh at anything anymore because i know exactly why i'm laughing and it's ruined laughter i can't possibly go into a gallery and look at a painting anymore because i know exactly the pattern of chemical reactions in my brain which is why i like this uh, particular monet in front of me and so it's totally ruined because it's just a a, a boring process that I can explain with algebra. So, frankly, I'm now going to kill myself because now that I know everything, the world has nothing for me. I've never heard that. And contrary to not just that I've never heard it, I've only ever heard the opposite. People saying that the more they understand about the facts of the world, the, 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 the more it adds to how much they enjoy things. And so I don't think there are neuroscientists out there who walk past art galleries in a huff thinking well I can't go in there anymore (laughs) yeah but I I do think there are people that maybe would disagree with you on that but listen we are limited for time we can come back to some of these ideas later in the book and I'm you know just looking through the last uh, few so we've got F, G and H still to go and I think (laughs) I want to I think I want to just briefly go over f and g and then have a couple of minutes still to focus on h so f um this is a this is a learning that he says was one of his most rewarding because it makes him feel so deeply akin to others and it's something that you and i have um personally between the two of us discussed many many times what is most personal is most general can you remember when and why we would have discussed that before No. Well, over the years, James and I have often talked about the problems that James perceives as being completely unique to him and completely idiosyncratic to his experience of life. And towards the end of a long discussion around James's uniqueness, I generally come up with the phrase, but isn't everyone like that? (laughs) I'm... I'm fully enjoying the fact that I had suddenly worked out what the punchline was halfway through <laughs> what you were saying. And even, even I feel like even if I knew exactly the chemical process that was going on in my brain and I could represent that with algebra, I'd still be here in the moment enjoying the, the, the moment when it actually comes out of your mouth. Isn't everyone just like that? 
Exactly. And aren't we? And I've heard it enough times that theoretically you'd think that it wouldn't give me any more joy, but it does. I'm so glad it does. Um, and, and I think that's something we could talk about in, in more details. But I did just want to point that out, that it's something that you and I have touched base on many, many times. Um, and also the, the idea that I think I've said this before, that, that that means that you're not separate from other people. You are connected to other people. We're all going through very similar experiences. And perhaps just the words and the language we use is slightly different. I can say from experience, from updated experience, whatever that was, C... <laughs> I've, so I had A and B, can't remember what the difference is. I seem to remember that both of those result in your hand dripping off. And then C, you finally see, find your senses and Carl says something actually practical and workable in the world. I've Having been through that, um, I can say that going through the process of realising that my personal specialness as an only child who has a unique perspective on the world that no one else could possibly understand, taking that and letting it go and realising that I'm not in any way special, even if I have a completely unique take on a particular situation because of everything of my own life that's led up to it, I can still recognise that the the vast majority of things controlling that situation are the physical and biological and chemical facts that apply to everyone else and there's nothing about them that's special to me does not make it any less rewarding i do not fear those facts i feel like i enjoy the world so much and it's not just that it's it's not a problem to know the facts i enjoy the world so much more knowing that because it let me put it differently it can be terrifying to think that you're somehow special and that you have a unique experience of the world that no one else could possibly understand because they're all just those drones over there and I'm the special, unique, only child. How can you live a social life if no one could possibly understand you? You can't understand me. My perspective is so unique I couldn't possibly articulate it in a way that you inferior mortal would understand you are no I'm going you are no friend of mine you just completely isolate yourself into a terrifying position of being unable to play the game of life with the other human beings that are going to be there pestering you no matter what you do even if you live in a cave the google street view car will probably come driving in it one day and <laughs> rob you of your of your data and sell it to a psychopath so you can't escape interaction with other human beings and you will come across psychopaths and people who do not understand your unique experience and the more that you are acceptant of the facts the more in, the more you can actually interact with the world in a way that will function for both you and the other person as opposed to being a delude as opposed to being delusional and thinking that you're special and therefore the world never matches your expectations because your expectations are incomplete because you have rejected the facts out of fear yes absolutely wow that was really rather succinct for you okay well i think that covers f Um, (laughs) point g it has been my experience that persons have a basically positive direction and i think this really harks back i think um i think you're gonna jump on this one um, and you're basically going to suggest that the Carl, Carl Rogers versus the psychopaths is worth a listen to at this point. Am I witnessing you assuming uh, what I'm about to say and uh, waiting for me to predictably 
say the punchline that you know is coming? Just a guess. <laughs> is this the last one? Is there another one after this? There's one more after this that okay. summarises it all. Okay, so this one you just want to gloss over quickly. If you uh, like. You want my... I'm not sure what the punchline is I'm about to deliver. Do you want to say something and then I'll work out halfway through what you're saying and I'll bounce around on my non-squeaky chair? Um, listen, I, I, I just think that you can instantly say it has been my experience that persons have a basically positive direction well if you look at what's going on in the world the amount of violence and corruption and and uh, crimes against others the wars that are going on the, the 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 torture the hatred the human trafficking i mean really carl are you actually joking but at, when when you think about the internal drive of those people perhaps he might <laughs> He might be more right than not. Perhaps they are just trying to care for their families and protect those that they love. Oh, okay, I see what you mean. Um, I think both are right in that um, I think that, yes, I mean, if you take every individual person, their genetic makeup is just a relentless desire for survival and, um, and all the things that genes do to replicate. But on the whole... What is the consequence of that that we can observe over generations of humans? I think it would be ridiculously unwise to say, oh, well, everything's just brought us to a war or everyone's just brought us to an election result that I didn't like or something like that. I think that overall there is a a huge progressive arrow. even and And I don't think progress is just relentlessly on course i mean things go up and down but you're looking you're, you're not taking any one particular data point and saying and, and putting your hand on your hips mm-hmm. and tutting and and, yep. <laughs> and getting irritated for the rest of the day you're looking at the 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 whole lot overall and um so firstly yes there is some kind of positive progress and i'm perfectly happy to go into the future and not do monger about the end of the world being nigh but at the same time i also see that people who do destructive things you could also explain that as some kind of desire by the genetic structure of that human being to replicate itself successfully or however you would put that into words however richard dawkins would say that in a much more intelligent way yeah, and um, just to conclude this little um, point, G, I will give you one more quote from our dear Lord Carl. <laughs> I, I, I do not have a Pollyanna view of human nature, he says. I'm quite aware that out of defensiveness and inner fear, individuals can and do behave in ways which are incredibly cruel, horribly destructive, immature, regressive, antisocial and hurtful. Yet one of the most refreshing and invigorating parts of my experience is to work with such individuals and to discover the strongly positive directional tendencies which exist in them, as in all of us, at the deepest levels. So, to conclude today's episode, we've got just one final point. Uh, It's point H. We are there. Life, at its best, is a flowing, changing process in which nothing is fixed. Nothing. 
So we've reached the point where Carl Rogers and Mickley Chitson Mickley fuse together and create a flow experience. As they both plunge into the heat of the sun and their bodies become one and just melt into a liquid that flows. <laughs> this is such a scientific episode and people should really value the facts and not be fearful of them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but I had actually um, noticed upon re uh, visiting this book the congru confluence of on becoming a person and flow uh, in the in the middle of the book there's a there's an element firstly there's a there's a there's a way in which the process as i've just noticed also on the back of on becoming a person you remember when now uh, we we like to mock the ultimate guide to achieving happiness or whatever the publisher said about flow well the publisher says about on becoming a person that it is finding the path to personal growth and harmonious maturity. Well, I think it's obvious to see how that can be a flow activity in itself. And it's also, the, looking at it the other way around, it's easy to see that in order to achieve a flow state, it's much easier when you are um, not repressing your emotions and not denying the facts because those things can lead to frustration and um, anger when the world turns out to be not how you predicted it would be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what's H again? Can you read it out to me again? Life at its best is a flowing, changing process in which nothing is fixed. I mean, you love a process, you love something that never ends. <laughs> I can see why this one appeals to you. <laughs> it very much does. Um, look, I, I think the idea, and I think we probably all struggle with this, the idea of um, a child becoming a grown-up, a child becoming an adult, is to me now almost ridiculous. Now I understand for myself that at 43 years old, I really don't feel that different to how I did at 30 years old. Um, I'm potentially a little more knowledgeable, a little more in control of my environment, a little more um, dedicated to my work and hopefully a little more proficient at it. Um, but hold on a minute, 43, are you saying you're only one year younger than the newly re-elected President of France? Yeah. Just imagine what you could have achieved if you'd made different choices. I regularly do, James. So I know, I'm enjoying this because I know that it, this is one of the things that really, like, this is this is a fact in the world that Dan finds terrifying and runs away from. I mean, I mm -hmm. I, I don't mm -hmm. I think it's ridiculous to compare yourself with another mm -hmm. person, but mm -hmm. somehow when I do that, when I compare Dan with another person, he never calmly says, "Oh, well, it's just ridiculous to compare myself with another person." He actively gets angry as if this mm -hmm. is a valid comparison but one that should be ignored. <laughs> Fearful of the facts. Correct. Yeah, it doesn't last long though, James, because I remember who's saying it and what he's achieved in his life. Who who is he? 
you. Oh, right, okay, all right. <laughs> <sighs> I'm sorry about that, listener. I'm sorry, that was... You didn't need to see that. <laughs> okay, so, uh, in essence, he's, uh, you know, Carl's talking about the fact that uh, personal growth and the world around us is forever changing, and that is an exciting, mysterious, sometimes frightening but always a learning experience that we get to experience from birth until death. And who knows, perhaps beyond. So the more you turn your, what is it, path to personal growth and harmonious maturity into a flow activity, the more rewarding it will be to take these two great works of non-fiction and let me see if I can come up with another metaphor that doesn't involve melting body parts in the heat of the sun. You take the male tortoise and the female tortoise. Let's say, I'm going to say that Carl Rogers is the female tortoise and Mickley Chitson Mickley is the male tortoise. And based on the pornographic spectacle that I witnessed at Christmas in Agadir in southern Morocco this year when I don't know what happened but as soon as I I went to Crocodile World whatever it's called and part of Crocodile World is filled with turtles and there's not a crocodile in sight and when Mm -hmm. we arrived the crocodiles just all started having sex with each other and it was kind of like a quite a violent it looked like a rape it looked like it looked okay. like mummy crocodile was running for her life, which was... No, not crocodile, sorry, to, 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 tortoise. What is it that you've got? A tortoise? Yes. Patsy. Yeah, I think these were... I think, Yeah, these were bigger versions of Patsy. So Patsy is basically running for her life, and let's call him Daniel, the male tortoise, is running just as fast as her, but he was already mm-hmm. right next to her. And so she really can't run away from him. And then... Uh, he, he manages to pick up the pace a little bit and gets inside Patsy and thrusts and kind of makes a little grunt and Patsy doesn't look happy about it. And then he pauses for a minute because even though Patsy is pretty fast, as the the cliche goes, tortoises are generally quite slow and plodding and methodical. They're not the hares that just put all their energy into the first few seconds and then pass out. So... Daniel thrusts and grunts. Uh, Patsy doesn't look happy about it, but then he takes a moment and pauses, but he's still inside Patsy. Oh, so I don't know how much pain she's experiencing. But, he's not, you? Uh-huh. but he takes the time until he gives another thrust. And this goes on for probably about 15 minutes. I don't know however many thrusts there are. And then he's successfully impregnated Patsy. And I was there watching this with a whole load of... Um, Moroccan families with young children who would who 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 thought this looked very funny, but the parents seemed very reluctant to explain what was going on. And um, you'll be pleased to hear I didn't step in and intervene in any of this, neither with the the tortoise rape nor the child's confusion. <laughs> okay, so, sorry. What's your point, James? This is really my oh the Mickley Chitson Mickley is Daniel tortoise carl rogers is patsy tortoise and they've come together and they've in that moment they have fused although i wouldn't say that that was necessarily a flow experience for either daniel nor pat neither daniel nor patsy right well i mean 
this episode has been on the whole so good and now yeah. look what I've done I know what it's time for done? the naughty step <laughs> okay well listen uh, that is the end of part one of Carl Rogers on becoming a person as reviewed by private practice podcast I think it just leaves for me to say thank you so much for joining us and we we hope you had an enjoyable experience and it has aided you in accessing the flow part of your brain and in a non-specified um moment in the future we will come back and we'll find out if dan wants to systematically go through all the kind of technical uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. parts of this book that are to do with um, the process of therapy, or whether he just wants to skip to the more philosophical bit um, in which I want to talk about Kierkegaard and his existentialist views of the philosophy of being a person. Both of us want the listener to look forward to it. And so we have a shared responsibility to leave you to manipulate your emotions that you should value to an ex- a certain extent, but not too highly. And that emotion needs to be excitement. So, Dan, pull the strings the way you see fit. I will do. Little darling, it feels like years since it's been here. Here comes the sun, do 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 do. Here comes the sun, and I say it's all right. Do 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 do. Don't touch the sun, kids. From the ordinary boys, Preston. 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 From the ordinary boys, Preston.